You are listening to the Sermon Podcast of Fellowship Bible Church. Thank you for stopping by. We sincerely hope you are blessed. Enjoy. I'm so thankful for that song that we just sang. A, a lot of times uh, people say, like, did you guys plan those songs? And we have, we have no plan. <laughs> we, just, we pick the songs. Christine picked these songs and, uh, weeks ago. Uh, but, but today I'm going to be talking to you about what we just sang, about how the Lord is a firm foundation on whom we can build our lives. That God in Scripture, that, that what we believe invites us to, to experience life from a steadfast position. Steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord our work is not in vain. That's 2 Corinthians 15, 58. It was on my mind coming in this morning. And I was thinking about how all of us, as we talked about many times here, all of us want our lives to be lives of flourishing. We want the people in our lives to flourish. We want them to thrive. Right? But for that thriving, for that fruitfulness to occur, steadfastness has to happen. Right? Nobody collects tumbleweeds for their fruit. Right? Because why? Because they're not rooted. They're not, they're not growing. They're not living because they're not rooted. They need to be steadfast before they can be fruitful. And Job is really going to put us on our heels Regarding that, that is the defining quality of Job, according to the New Testament authors. The, in the book of James, Job says, he starts his book talking about, let's be steadfast, let steadfastness have its, its ultimate effect in your lives. And then by the end of it, he says, the ultimate, you've heard of the ultimate example of steadfastness, Job. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. And so this morning, Job invites us to learn, to begin to learn how to be steadfast which is an essential ingredient for all of us in dealing with what has happened to us, dealing with what we're going through, and preparing for what is coming. How to be steadfast. Now, you're in your Bibles in Job chapters 1 and 2. There's a lot of interesting details in the story of Job 1 and 2, but I'm going to cut right to the point of these stories. Because you'll remember that Job, the book of Job is not mostly amazing stories. It's mostly a really uh, detailed existential conversation about suffering and righteousness and God and this life. It's a really detailed conversation. And, and so these two chapters, even though there's a ton of really interesting details in them, they have a very specific point in service of that bigger conversation. And we can see that point pretty quickly here. Look with me right away at Job chapter 1, verse 1. The narrator here echoes something that God is going to say twice later about Job, but he begins by introducing us to Job. He says, there's a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was, note this, blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. This is the exact same thing that the Lord says about Job in chapter 1, verse 8. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there's none like him on earth? He's blameless and upright, fears the Lord, turns away from evil. See the same thing again in chapter 2, verse 3. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job that there's none like him on the earth, blameless and upright, who fears God and turns away from evil? Blameless and upright, fears God and turns away from evil. So the narrator and the voice of God in the story want to make this point very clear. If that weren't clear enough, at the end of each of the cycles of suffering, we see Job respond in a blameless and upright way. 
Look with me at the end of chapter 1, verse 21. After all of this happens, let's start in verse 20. Job arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell on the ground, and he worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We look at the second cycle and how that ends in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Job's wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? Blameless and upright. He fears the Lord and he turns away from evil. And if that weren't enough, both of those cycles of, of persecution and suffering end with a very clear statement about one particular attribute of Job. Look with me again at the very last verse in chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 22. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. And look how the narrator ends the second cycle in chapter 2, verse 10, the very last phrase. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job did not sin. He did not charge God with wrong. He didn't sin with his lips. So Job is clearly presented to us as a kind of exemplar, a model, an example, somebody who then will be our guide through this extended conversation. Chapters 1 and 2, we see this in even the development of the story. Chapters 1 and 2 begin in verses 1 to 5 with a picture of Job as an exemplary follower of God. So we read already verse 1 that the narrator says he's blameless and upright, fears the Lord, turns away from evil. But we also see in verse 5, when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate his children. He would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And this Job did continually. Job is a guy who does what is right. Now that does not mean that he is sinless in the way that Jesus Christ is sinless. Job is, he's aware of sin, but he's aware of what God and his grace has given us to deal with our sin. Job is aware of sin. He's aware of repentance. He's aware of the forgiveness and mercy that's available to us in God. In other words, Job honors God's grace that allows sinners to live in a relationship with God in a blameless and upright manner. So God is not saying Job has never, ever sinned. He's saying he honors my grace. He takes advantage of my mercies in a way that I want him to so that we have a good relationship and he is blameless and upright. Now that's how Job, the story, our little two-chapter story begins. And right there we would say, well, this is the guy that we should listen to. But it develops, right? Because Job is going to be that much more of a good example because we see him go through extraordinary trials. Two cycles of affliction you may have noticed in the reading. In the first one, the uh, Satan here, interesting little factoid. Satan is, uh, is literally, a t- that's a Hebrew word. Not just like the whole Old Testament is written in Hebrew and it's all translated, it's all Hebrew words. No, that is actually a Hebrew word that is not translated. So the Hebrew word for Satan is Satan. So the actual translation of the word Satan means accuser. In our sort of culture and language, we would call this the plaintiff. 
I googled this. Uh, the plaintiff. This is the person who brings the accusation and brings the charge against a person. So the, the accuser here, the plaintiff, says, he makes an accusation against Job. He says that Job is only godly because God has allowed Job to be very great. In chapter 1, verse 3, it says that Job was, he was, he was the greatest, he was the, the, he was the richest, most blessed, most prosperous fellow in their whole region. And the accuser says, well, he's only godly because God has allowed Job to be very great. That kind of has the ring of truth about it, doesn't it? We've all experienced this. We've all experienced seasons where things are not going so great, where we feel like godliness is a little bit more of a challenge. And then there's other times where things seem to, everything seems to be, you know, clacking along and just going good. And it's like, hey, church is good. That was an okay sermon. The singing was nice. Like, I'm just, faith is fine and I like it and it's okay. It has the ring of truth here that when things are better for us, it feels like faith is okay. Faith makes kind of sense. And we don't have any problem with church stuff. And so, God allows Job to lose everything. The horrific situation develops over the course of Job chapter 1. But what does Job do? Does he turn his back on God then? No, he continues to trust God. Job is saying, in effect, he's saying that his relationship with God is more valuable than all of the stuff that he had. God is the most valuable thing in his life. And so Job remains steadfast to that relationship despite those sufferings. Then we see the second cycle of sufferings hit Job. The accuser comes and and he says, listen, I mean, you know, Way to go, Job. But really, the only reason he's still godly and still steadfast is because he's physically okay. Which again, that kind of, there's some logic to that. That kind of makes a little bit of sense. I mean, I've said it. I've heard people say like, oh, this is so bad. This is, but at least everybody's healthy. These, all these terrible things are going on, but at least, at least I'm feeling okay. And so God allows Job to be painfully afflicted. Painfully afflicted to the extent that Job's own wife says, maybe it would be better if you were just dead than to continue on in these sufferings. She, she recommends death by blasphemy. Curse God, so then he kills you. But Job refuses, right? He refuses to do that because he continues to trust God. Job says, in effect, I would rather not die and continue to live with this horrific pain and all of these sufferings just so that I can continue to let God be God in my life. I want to honor that relationship. He is steadfast. So as we meet Job in Job chapter 1 and 2, Job is the godliest person and he has lost the most. He's the godliest person and he has lost the most. And that is how the story of Job concludes before we go into the 39 chapter conversation that is the majority of the book of Job. And so why are we, why are we so focused on Job's character and his righteousness, his godliness, before we now have to listen to him argue for 39 chapters? So the point of this story is to show that Job is the right person to listen to. 
Job is the right person to listen to on the subject of suffering and righteousness and sin and God and how these things all work together. He's the right person to listen to on the big why questions. How do we stay steadfast in our life so that we can ultimately live in flourishing? But how do we stay steadfast in our relationship with God through what life throws at us? And now I'm just, this is a little pro tip. File this away. This is extremely critical for how we read the rest of the book of Job. We're going to, those of you who've read Job know what I'm talking about. You're going to go in and read what the friends say and what they say sounds really good. And you're going to read some of the stuff that Job says and you're going to be like, Job, I don't think you should be saying that. This is the interpretive key that twice the, the author says of Job, in all this Job did not sin with his lips. With his lips. And then at the very end of the book, in the last Uh, story portion in chapter 42 twice God says about Job my servant Job has spoken of me what is right so this is very critical for understanding this book and the point of these two chapters then is that Job is the one we should listen to Job is the one that we should listen to we should listen to Job if we want to be steadfast We should listen to Job because we will listen to something, right? Already in chapters 1 and 2, Job's wife is giving him counsel. Should he listen to his wife? In the next chapter, in the next couple chapters, his friends are going to start giving him counsel. Here's how you should think about your sufferings. Here's what you should do with your sufferings. Should he listen to his friends? Job's own inner turmoil, right? There's always going to be other voices trying to guide us through our thoughts about the hardships of life. And the author wants us to understand Job is a reliable guide. Job is somebody that we should listen to. And so let's begin doing that right now. Let's listen to what Job says here just in these two chapters and get what is really an essential point of view for us to be steadfast in our sufferings and fears. All right, so here's the two places Job speaks in response to his sufferings. Chapter 1, verse 21, and chapter 2, verse 10. Chapter 121, And Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in chapter 2, verse 10, Job said to his wife, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? So I'm going to separate out what Job says into sort of three groups here. And we'll look at each of them so that we can listen to Job and we can get some of what we need today to be steadfast. So the first thing I want to look at are the uh, this and this statements. Did you notice kind of a little bit of a rhythm to what this and this, these, these truths that Job has got locked up in his mind? Should we, uh, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return. Uh, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Um, shall we receive good from the, from the Lord and not evil. That we, we should receive good from the Lord and we should receive evil. These sort of A and B kind of statements. We're going to look at these three statements and truths briefly because they give us some essential truths to help us be steadfast. The first of these is the uh, naked I came from my mother's womb in chapter 1 verse 21 and naked shall I return. What is the truth that Job is is asserting here. The truth that's helping him be steadfast is this. We are not our things. We are not 
to broaden that out, we are not our constructed selves. We are not what we think we are through the accumulation of relationships, experiences, education, and possessions that we get over the course of our lives. We're not the brands that we buy. We're not the schools we've attended. We're going to talk this week about parenting. We're not fundamentally parents or kids. We are this other thing that came into the world and is going to leave in the same way. We are not our constructed selves. One of my favorite aspects of this job is to sit with those who are so close to seeing Jesus. Because in that moment, they are only what they absolutely are. We are not our constructed selves. We are not our things. If you have any questions about that, I would encourage you to move. <laughs> Pack up all your stuff. Stage your house. You know, Get a two-week bag and find out that you can live out of it for six weeks. And then you start unpacking other boxes and you think, what do I have this for? <laughs> Why did... but, then, but then you look at it and you think, well, I can't get rid of it. I didn't need it for years. I didn't need it. I didn't even know I had it, but I can't get rid of it. What are we doing with these things, right? Job, is, Job has locked up in his mind this truth that we are not our things, but he says what we are belongs to God. This is the point of that second part of this A plus B here. He says... Naked I will return. That what I am is going back to God to be with God. I belong to God. What I am is a thing that belongs to God. That's the first truth that we see here that has steadied Job that can help steady us as well. The second thing he says in that same verse is the Lord, ha- the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Now the truth here is, of course, that all that we have, all that we enjoy, think about that for a second, all that you have and all that you enjoy in life belongs to God. It all came to you from Him means it's all His. And I know that for every single one of us, that, for me, for you, that had to adjust something in our mind. What about that? What about that? What about that? All of it belongs to God. All of it came to us from Him. All we have and all that we enjoy belongs to God. What I am belongs to God. What I have belongs to God. Which is, it, it, it really paints an interesting question for us, which is, Job is saying, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. So what is it that, I, that, that Job has? Does he have stuff? Not, no, he has, he has the Lord. The Lord gives me stuff, the Lord takes his stuff back. Job's saying, I don't have the stuff. What I have is the Lord. Friends, that is an essential truth for when you go through suffering because suffering is the experience of the loss of things. Whether it's possessions, relationships, ideas about ourselves are lost. And Job says, I don't have those things. What I have 
by the grace of God is I have the Lord. I have the Lord. All right, let's look at the last thing that Job says just here. In chapter 2, verse 10. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In other words, Job is saying we do receive good and also we receive evil. We receive things that seem good come into our life and things that seem bad come into our life. So what this particular truth is saying is that we must trust God in all things. See, the tendency is, right, the tendency is when good things come into your life, you say, oh, there, God is, there is a God and He's so good. And then when bad things come into your life, we all say, is there even a God? We all do this. Bad things come, we say, is there even a God? Like, what's the point of this? And then good things, we're like, God's good. I like God. That's fine. And Job's saying, bad things come, good things come, good things come, bad things come. We have to trust the Lord through it all. We have to trust the Lord in all things. And we can trust the Lord in all things. These are some of the truths that will steady us in our own sufferings. And I would invite you to reflect on these a little bit more today and in upcoming days. We're not going to spend much more time on them. But let me just point out that suffering is so much harder if we don't have these truths locked in. If I, if I think that what I am is just the stuff that I have and then I lose some of that stuff, I am thrown into a, an, a, a core level crisis. If I think that all I have in my life is, is mine and any of it goes away, then I am diminished. What am I even? If I think, if I go through life and I think I can only trust myself to bring about good, I can only trust myself to, to bring the good and then life goes bad, I am thrown into a massive crisis. It doesn't just hurt. The sufferings don't just hurt. They don't just make me scared. They make me feel like I'm done, which is what Job's wife says. Just curse God and die. Just check out. It's over. That's what happens if we don't have these truths locked in. And so we come to the second, the second thing that Job says that we're going to look at this morning in verse 10 of chapter 2. He says, you speak as a fool speaks. That there's foolish speech that comes into our lives when we suffer. The foolish speech here is, of course, his wife says, curse God and die. This is where we go if we won't listen to Scripture, if we won't listen to Job. You, you've been there, I've been there. When bad things have come into our lives, we just think, what is the point? What is the point? I was trying to use God to get a better life, and now this? What is the point of God? What is the point of life? And what, the, what Job's wife is saying is, she's saying, listen, we know, how, we know what's better than this. And I think we can use God to get it. Let's curse him and get out. Their despair, her despair, our despair grows from doubting these truths. But Job says, no, 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 no. I know that this is terrible. I know this is horrific. But God is better. Even when life is the worst, God is still better. 
Reminds me of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, This light momentary affliction is producing a weight of glory far beyond comparison. God is still better even when life is at its worst. And so we come to the final thing that we're going to look at that Job says in chapter 121. Job famously concludes, he says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. So he's got all these truths in his mind. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Naked I came, naked I'll return. He's got all these truths, but now we hear Job's heart. Blessed. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, name, when, when the Bible talks about the name of the Lord, it's talking about like, uh, you know, the best name in plumbing. In South, it's talking about his reputation. It's talking about his, his character. The qualities, qualities about him that make him great. So Job is saying that God's character, who God really is, deserves to be blessed. We've got to unpack that for just a moment because blessed is kind of a weird, like no, none of us have written a card or sent a text to, hey, blessed be you today. You know, like, no, this is not a, I'm just, blessed be your name. Like, we, this is not normal talk. So what is Job saying when he says, blessed be the name of the Lord? I think he's saying two things. He's making a declaration from his heart that knowing the character of God, the name of the Lord, is a blessing. Knowing the character of God, knowing God, is a blessing. He is good. And I'm still thankful. This is what he's saying. I'm still thankful that he's in my life. I'm still thankful that he's in my life despite what has happened. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he's saying, and I want others to know that. I want to say this. I want other people who are also suffering, us, Job wants us to hear that God is good and that, that we should make God a greater part of our lives as well. So Job's summary statement after all of this is that God is trustworthy, he's praiseworthy, even in the most mysterious and horrific troubles of life. And Job is able to come to this conclusion. Job is steadfast because Job lived inside the truths. The truths made Job steadfast. The truths made Job steadfast. And friends, how much more so for us? How much more so for us? Listen to what Jesus says about himself in John 17. He says, Father, glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world existed. He said, I've revealed your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord, the true character of God. Jesus says, I've made the true character of God known. He goes on in that same chapter, he says, I've revealed your name, I've kept my people in your name, which you gave to me. God's true character is on Jesus and is revealed to us in a way it's never been revealed any, at any other time, in any other way, in Jesus. And he concludes John 17, he says, I've made known, again, I've made known to them your name. The name of the Lord that Job blesses and is so thankful for and wants others to bring into their lives has been most clearly revealed to us in Jesus. What Job knew, friends, we have the opportunity in Jesus to know that much more clearly. Because we know Jesus and we know the truth about Him. Right? Job knew that God was glorious. He knew that God was holy. He knew that God was a God who forgives and a God who shows mercy. But we know how much more mercy and forgiveness there is in God because we have seen that not only is He holy and glorious, but that He came and suffered with us. 
in our Job-like situations. And he went beyond and suffered for us to bring us into that place that Tony talked about this morning where the power of death is gone. The fear of death is taken away for us. So friends, for us today, it's the gospel, the truths about Jesus, knowing Jesus that makes us steadfast. And to be steadfast in the sufferings that we're all going through, we need to live inside this truth, which is, interestingly enough, what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6.13. This is a fairly famous verse. He says, take up the whole arm, put it all on, right? put the armor of God on, so you may be able to, what does he say? Stand your ground in the evil day. You have some evil days? You have some evil days coming? You want to be able to be steadfast in them? Then you need to put on the armor of God, the truths about God given to us in Jesus. And very practically, as we conclude this morning, worship Jesus. This is a very practical thing. Worship Jesus. This is what Job says. He says, blessed be the name of the Lord. He's worshiping. Worshiping what we now know as Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord is probably something that Job has said or sung or recited a thousand times. And so he had it ready. He had it ready, and now it was the thing that kept him steady. Have you ever hiked with, uh, have you ever gone hiking and used hiking poles? 95% of the time you're hiking with hiking poles, you're like, these poles are so dumb. I cannot believe somebody told me I should be hiking with hiking poles. And you're thinking, how do I get them out of my hands and put them somewhere? Can I just throw them? Are they biodegradable? Like, but then there's that 5% of the time where you think, oh my goodness, I'm so thankful I have hiking poles. I know that, listen, I'm a pastor but even I know that sometimes your church experience is not amazing, right? And there's times when you come to church and you just think, why am I doing this? Can I put this somewhere? Is it biodegradable? <laughs> but what worship is so, worship is so important. It's so important to have with us in this life because there's times when the going gets rough. And there's two things about worship that we see here in the example of Job that I want to point to before we close. Look with me at verse 1 again. The, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. He was blameless and upright. He feared the Lord. And then look at verse 5. It says that uh, Job would send and consecrate his children. He would rise early in the morning, offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And this Job did continually. I want to just give you a picture of what worship involves. Two things quickly before we conclude. Worship involves the fear of the Lord and worship involves the work of worship. So Job feared the Lord. Fearing the Lord means to be in a very attentive relationship to. It doesn't mean to be scared of the Lord or to be afraid of the Lord, but to be very aware of the Lord. Some of you have heard me use this picture. This is the one that was most helpful for me. I think of a, an elephant trainer who raised this elephant from the time the elephant was a baby and, and, you know, has a great relationship with the elephant. But then you put him in a freight elevator where they have to go up 30 stories. And how is that elephant trainer feeling about that elephant? He's not scared of the elephant. He doesn't think the elephant's going to eat him. 
but he's very aware that he is in a small space with a very large and different being. <laughs> this is what the fear of the Lord speaks to. That we go through our lives, not just like, what do I want? What do I want? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. We go through our lives very aware of a large and different being who is with us. A holy other one. So there's a sense of the fear of the Lord, which studies Job here as his component in worship. And then there's the work which we see, the work of worship. And you guys know this because you're here. <laughs> the work of worship involves some discipline. 4,000 years ago, going to worship was not cool, <laughs> not normal. And it's not cool or normal now either. It involves discipline. Worship involves sacrifice. Right? If it doesn't cost you anything, it's not going to mean anything. And worship involves regularity because this, this Job did continually because we forget. Job was steady through his sufferings because of the truths about God and the truths of his relationship with God. It was the gospel that kept Job steadfast, the gospel truths that kept Job steadfast, and it was worship that built his confidence in those truths. Worship that built his faith in the name of the Lord. So Job is to be our example. Let us listen to him and learn to love worship and be taught by worship to hope in God so that that gospel hope, that hope keeps us steady. Music team, why don't you come on up and, and the rest of you, let's stand. We'll pray and then sing our closing song and Tony will close our service with a benediction. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and, and for these truths revealed in it, truths that are life-changing because all of us are in sufferings and all of us are wavering. All of us are at points along our path where we wonder where we put those poles that can help keep us steady and safe as we keep going. And so, Lord, would you help us, would you draw us now through this word into closer relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ? Would you draw us into a greater awareness of the truths about him that we love and that we sing about, but that we also need, so that those truths and, and an awareness of our relationship with you might be ready for us when we need it. We ask your grace and your help in this, and in all things, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor David. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Fellowship Bible Church. We sincerely hope you enjoyed this reflection on Scripture, and we pray that this word dwells in you richly.